Welcome to Equestrian Movement's Fast Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our first Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling, and husbandry, or an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement and today we're talking to Shannon Bayen from Humming Horse Equestrian. Shannon offers a deep conscious approach to horse-human relationships based on deep attention, free movement and somatic awareness. Shannon is a trauma-informed horse trainer, online educator, academic, and writer. She specializes in teaching her own high-vibration approach to natural dressage and liberty, as well as the creation of species-appropriate habitats that promote dynamic movement and autonomous equine lifestyles. She's passionate about exploring and articulating the ethics of embodied horse-human relationships, Her hope is that through teaching a deeper awareness of human-animal and human-environment relations, equestrian education ceases to be a privileged pastime and instead may just provide some of the seeds to birth a new earth. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Shannon, and I hope that you guys uh, find it just as enjoyable. If you want to keep up with what she's up to, you can go to her website, www.humminghorse.com, or you can check her out on Instagram, and she has some beautiful work on Instagram. We will have all the links in the show notes. And so without further ado, let's kick off today's show. Hi, Shannon. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Would you be able to run us through a little bit, introduce yourself, tell us what you do, uh, share with our audience what you're up to? Yeah, great. Um, Thank you for having me, Katie. I'm super excited to be here. Um, So, you know, what I do is always difficult to pack into a few sentences, but I'll I'll give it a whirl and we can unpack as we go. So, you know, currently I'm still leading with the title of, you know, I'm some kind of alternative horse trainer, although this word trainer is a word I'm getting less and less comfortable with as time goes on. But as a starting point, let's just say that's some kind of label. Um, I have a one-on-one practice, both online and in person. So I work with existing horse-human relationships and I help, you know, I'm a bit like a marriage counselor. <laughs> for people and their horses, um, but maybe a marriage counselor that also helps you with movement as well. So I'm usually brought in when there's an issue, although, you know, that's, I'd like to be working with people before there's an issue. So, um, 
yeah, I, I mainly do um, my own practice with my own horses. I do a form of natural dressage that's bitless and sometimes bridleless, often saddleless, and I do a ton of liberty work. As for my clients, um, it's really what whatever needs are required. Um, but I am clear with any new client that I'm working with that although the outcomes that are, they're going to get from working with me might look very performance oriented in terms of big flashy movement, um, performance is not my priority. And if at any time in the working relationship with a client, the client needs performance to be more important than relationship or relaxation, mm -hmm. then we will probably have to part ways. So hopefully that gives you some some kind of uh, idea of what I do. I'm not really discipline specific because, um, you know, I come from an eventing and dressage background and I've kind of done all the English disciplines. But these days it's kind of irrelevant because to me, just healthy movement is healthy movement. And um, tack is kind of like fashion for me. And I know like there could be debates around that, but um the more I go into using almost no tack, the more I realize that's just like what what kind of fashion overlay you put on top of it is a little bit ir irrelevant to the kind of work that I do. Yeah, love it. Yeah. I love these sentiments and I'm really excited about the conversations we're going to have today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I already have like five questions to yeah. try and Great. go in one direction. Yeah, let's, let's uh, go for it. So uh, I totally hear your sentiments of being like horse orientated over goal orientated. And mm -hmm. I really feel our horses acknowledge that when mm -hmm. we prioritize their well-being over our goals. Yeah. I think one of the biggest hurdles that I get stuck with with my students is when they're getting frustrated because they're not able to reach their goal yeah. and then that starts to impact the relationship dynamics. Yeah. So when I'm working with my students that are struggling with frustration, um, yeah. Quite often, it's a lack of task achievement, right? That leads mm. to frustration. And so, yeah. what we'll see is that we've kind of like put that goal at a place that's unattainable at this point. And that's where the frustration builds. The frustration yeah. then transmits to the horse. And so, you're kind of pushing the goal further away by being frustrated mm -hmm. that you're not totally. reaching it. So, what yeah. we teach is, um, having adjustable goalposts like your horse doesn't have an idea of what you're trying to achieve for the day yeah. so if you can structure it for wins then you set yourself up for wins tomorrow which helps you get to your goal quicker yeah and then it's how are we going to motivate the horse so one of especially when we're talking when we get to the point of performance like there's so much pre-work that we need to do to get the horse to be able to concentrate and focus and um like hold that higher energy without stress um, before we even get to this point. But if we're talking about like motivating the horse, when mm -hmm. we start to get to that like higher level of performance, we have to really shorten our timeframes because mm -hmm. why would the horse give us their best effort, right? Yeah. 
So in the if they were like in the paddock or in the wild, that best effort is reserved for like running away from something that's trying to eat them. Um, yeah. which is why spooking responsivity can be such an effectively used yeah. tool, right? Even yeah. though it doesn't translate to relaxation, it is used a lot. Yeah. Um, whereas like what we're trying to do is if we can do task achievement, um, integrate play. And then up and downing energy together, which is our connection. Yeah. Um, then we can bring the horse horse's energy up with us instead of up against us. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then get task achievement. This yeah. is kind of like how I structure our lessons. Yeah. Uh, which is challenging as a rider. Like you kind of get a feel of the tension building, flow release, tension building, release, tension building. Mm. But if you're like in that headspace of like, I have this goal to achieve and I'm getting frustrated that I'm not achieving it and you're pushing harder and you're putting more pressure on yourself, that's kind of where we're taking our horse away from high performance work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is my question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, so- it sounds like you're handling this in a really, really intelligent and compassionate and well thought out way. So I don't know if I could say much to improve that. Uh, like what this sounds like an amazing process that you have. I guess I can just reflect on it based on because these words you're using like task. This word comes up a lot in my in my own work with clients. Um And, you know, you even talking about like smaller, I might be using different language, but just being aware of moving the goalpost. So biting off smaller chunks. So back to this idea of a student being frustrated about not achieving the thing that they should be achieving. For me, um, I actually make a distinction between being task oriented and I actively explain we are not task oriented. And that's actually the first thing we have to let go of in this framework. You know, I have to talk about my approach is communication versus control. So being task oriented is in the domain of control in, in my view of things. And communication is more of just, do we have a clear channel of back and forth dialoguing what medium is the dialogue we can we can set that aside for a moment because obviously we're not using verbal language with the horse but it's that back and forth that I want to get with the horse and it's even before that it's getting the human to drop the agenda and so there's a few things around that one dropping the agenda you know I work in the energetic realm you know, this is like the word I use, energy. And we we can interrogate what I mean by this word, energy. But if I were to even offer a synonym to help people understand what I mean by this word, energy, I could even simply say dropping into the felt sense, dropping into the body. And so we might even start there by saying, what's the felt sense of having a task you want completed and it not happen happening what's so I would almost say to the student like what's happening in your body right now as you're wanting this thing and not getting it and I'd be drawing their uh, our attention to their body because often it's that like you know and I'm like I say this I make this sound and I'm picturing like a rigidity in their body I'm picturing energy that's gone really up 
and really high, probably proportionate with how high that goal is. It's a high expectation. And these are words we use, but these are also sensations in the body. And, you know, women of dating age should know what this feels like because like, or it's, I shouldn't make it gendered. Really, anyone who dates should know this feeling of trying to date someone that really wants something <laughs> and you're not quite ready to just give it like whatever the, it is, right? It's, and the more you are engaging with someone who's just kind of like in the flow, you know, whatever happens, happens. Typically, you're inclined to give more. So even this idea of like motivation, I'm, I'm into motivating and I love the science of motivation. And I know that once I'm talking to another horse person who is even thinking about something like motivation, we're going to be good friends. But it's also my deal to kind of like <laughs> bring nuance to every idea. Right. And so for me, motivation isn't something you always have to conjure is sometimes just the relaxing of something, the letting go of something. And lo and behold, as you let go of that something, in this case, the expectation, which is also the energy of expectation, lo and behold, ah, the thing is just there, you know, and it's just like ready to be given to you. So those are some things around that. The other thing I would say is like, when I'm encouraging students that, well, I'm not encouraging. I kind of make it a law. <laughs> it's a bit of a law in the work that I do where I'm constantly reminding them we're not here for tasks. And the reason I make it a law is because I'm actually reminding my former brain that did have a background in dominance modes of training and performance type training. I'm reminding myself we're not here for the task. Now, it's not that I don't want the horse to do X, Y, Z. Of course, I'm asking for walk. I'm asking for trot. I'm asking for canter. I'd love to get some bend. I'd love to get some collection. Maybe one day I want a flying lead change. It's not that I don't want those things, but they are not the end game. And so I replace, because of course, you know, we're not just sitting here meditating, although sometimes in my sessions we are. <laughs> Um, to replace that kind of seeking impulse that we have as, you know, just beings that want something from other beings. What I replace it with is kind of saying the the goal that we're actually after isn't the task. The goal is relaxation. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, relaxation is a very, it can be a very subtle thing at the physiological level to observe. And so if I want to get my clients stoked on relaxation, <laughs> I have to first kind of get them in a mode where they can observe very nuanced changes in the horse. And the hope is that I can get them to geek out as much as I do <laughs> on helping to facilitate tiny changes by doing very little it's usually doing less, not doing more. And if in that hope for me to get them as stoked as I am, then what happens is we move slower, but we become more observant. And the other thing that can happen is when you remove those expectations, and yes, I have to kind of get the client to commit to, okay, we're moving slower. You can't have your expectations. I know that's so hard. 
But, and I always tell them this isn't a promise, but it repeatedly um, is proven to be true that when you truly drop into that mode, miracles happen. And that's a big word to say miracles. I, I sometimes will say like quantum leap happen, quantum, quantum leaps happen. And by that, I just mean it might look in the beginning like we're going so slow. Like, oh my God, I've got to put my shoulder back and wait to see like what change that made. I got to just sit and wait and I got to breathe and I got to like focus on the feeling of my feet on the ground. Oh my God, if we're moving at this pace, I'll never see canter or I'll never even see trot, let alone all these other things I want to do. But when I say quantum leap, what I mean is, yes, it looks like we're going very slow and very systematic, but lo and behold, the horse starts to sink into that comfort and that space of I'm not being made to do something. And then they offer like an improvisation. It might even be, and this is where letting go of goals can be really beautiful too, because the thing that you had in mind for your goal is often like when I see them offer an improvisation is often so much more impressive than anything I dreamed up. And imagine what I might have deprived us all of had we stuck to the goal. So, yeah, like it, it's just to compare the two ways we're approaching. I think we're doing this very similarly. I, I might frame it a little differently with my clients, but this is this is the juice of like creating a whole new culture of horsemanship. Yeah, love it. There's so many um, things that I want to dig into about what you just said. Um, particularly for people who aren't used to talking about energy, Mm -hmm. uh, just as a reference point for us, um, we are all aware, whether consciously or unconsciously, of other people's energy around us. We're Mm -hmm. aware of, you know, that super, like, stressed, high-energy person that's always, like, pinging off the walls. We're, like, aware of the, like, you know, slower-moving person. Their energy is a bit lower. Sometimes you'll be, like, aware of somebody coming into the room um, without seeing them. So what we're talking about with energy is just the, the awareness of those around us and, like, where they're like at in in their body and a lot of times it can be like an expression of where they're at within their nervous system as well Mm -hmm. and the horses are like that's their that's their language thank you and (laughs) thank you yeah if like when we talk about cueing and we talk about communication with a horse it's us trying to create a language with them that we can understand because we're not very good at paying attention to our nervous system and the way that our body responds to our environment. But that's like, that's the language that our horse talks in. And when we don't pay attention to what our body language through our nervous system responses and whatnot is communicating, we are unconsciously still communicating that to the horse. And that's where a lot of that kind of friction comes from. Man, you, (laughs) we, we talked off, off, before the recording, you and I talked and 
you kind of set it up like you and I were, were in different domains. And I don't think we're in different domains at all. Yes, that's it. And so you use the word attention. And I'm going to add to that awareness. And although that's not a foreign concept to anyone, I want to like hang out on that for a little bit. Because this is so I, I'm not sure if it still says this on my website, but in various of my materials at times, it is said, deep awareness. That's part of my approach, right? And I'm, I'm, I lay reference to the kind of deep awareness that would come from lineages of like meditation. Um, another lineage that I can think of that really practices deep awareness would be, um, so a lot of these kind of like wilderness mentors now, or even like trackers. I don't know if you're aware of this kind of like, yeah, like um, it's become its own whole, I'm not going to say it's a religion, but it's its its own kind of metaphysical thing. You know, it, it comes from the art of hunting, which I know people might have the judgments around hunting, but this is like a ancient ancestral practice. And hunting isn't just like going and chasing an animal and killing it, right? It's, there's an art to reading the landscape to understand how another animal moves through space so that you might connect with it. It just so happens the hunters happen to connect with it and, you know, make a, you know, get a food source. But everything that happens up until that moment is a set of skills and an art that um, we'd be wise to pay attention to. And of course, not all hunters are created equal, but there is kind of a breed of, you know, like I said, they're called trackers that are teaching this kind of deep, deep awareness. I even think back, um, you know, because I came from a traditional background of, you know, mainstream horsemanship and performance oriented elite level riding. Um, but somewhere along that line, this is like going way back in time over two decades now, I did I worked, I worked for a horse magazine for a while. And I thought I was getting a writing job. But it turned out, it, they had me doing a lot of things so that we're not writing. But one of the things I did was work their trade shows and they sponsored a natural horse, a natural horsemanship guy here in Canada. And this is going back like 22, 23 years. So this is kind of like the dawn of the popularization of natural horsemanship, probably even before most people were hearing about it. And as part of my job uh, working these trade shows where we're, we're was to study his materials so that I could help sell his stuff because he was sponsored by this magazine. And for whatever reason, we sold his materials. So, and around that time, just coincidentally, I was in a small town and I saw one of these, this guy's um, clinics. Like I was just like walking by a poster, saw it and was like, Oh my gosh, that's right now. Let's go. And so I went and I watched it and I know we're already in a place where a lot of people are already kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to natural horsemanship. I wouldn't be so quick to do that. It's like very fashionable to like criticize the movement that came just before the movement that you're into, you know, the next evolution in ethics. But those guys did a lot to revolutionize how to deal with horses. And that's, that's sure. it's not that long ago. And this guy in particular, his name was Chris Irwin. Some, I mean, he's still out on the scene, but he was he was doing some really neat neat stuff. And geez, what was I going to say about that? I know what I was going to say. 
one of the things that he said, and this this forever changed how I dealt with horses. And this is still while I was working in a mainstream context. I was uh, training and riding in elite um, performance farms, but I was teaching and riding schools. And immediately it changed how I taught my students. And what he said, so he talked about, um, you know, hierarchies in a herd. And we know from, you know, ethology now that we're questioning this whole idea of alphas. But he was already at that time kind of saying it in a different way. And he was saying that the top horse isn't the one who um, is the strongest. It's the most aware. It's the one that notices something change. And the others, like we can debate whether this is fully true in an ethological sense or not, but I, this concept is really valuable because I've seen it with horses. The others gain trust and respect in that one for the ways in which he can, I don't know why I'm genderizing, he or she can read the landscape, um, anticipate a threat, and mobilize the group to avoid that threat. This idea that awareness and attention is you know, it's survival of the most aware and yeah. alert is really quite interesting to me. So I went on a, a, a rant there, but that was just to kind of like expand on what you are already saying about mm. the importance of attention. And and that's, I guess, how I, as I mentioned earlier, keep my students <laughs> kind of in their bodies when they're wanting to get carried away with the goal, but, 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 but when are we going to canter, jump, flying, leeching, whatever the thing is, yeah. it's part of why they can't be patient is because they haven't been taught to notice detail. Yeah. And I understand there's a whole bunch of reasons why they might be not uh, noticing detail. I mean, we're in the age of ADD or ADHD. We have this technology that's trying to steal our attention constantly. So we have to kind of uh, build capacity in that area that goes counter to what our dominant human um, culture is wanting us to do. But I just love that that's already on your radar, the importance of attention. Oh, it's everything. It's critical. Yeah. That, you know, it is really hard to to teach that level of focus and attention. Like I'll be, you know, trying to communicate that's required. And then you'll watch the student's eyes just like divert off into the paddock and you've lost them for the next like 10 to 15. (laughs) I've had multiple times kind of spectators or kind of um, bystanders in an area where I'm teaching walk by and say a comment, this has happened multiple times, where they'll say something to the effect of, wow, you guys are so focused, like as if that's a bad thing. And I'm like, this is sacred stuff. Yeah. (laughs) These, like, even just on like a cost benefit level, like, these are really expensive animals. And like, hiring a coach to come in, that's not a cheap thing. What the heck? What do you do with your time? It's often another teacher who will say that. Like, yeah. What are you doing with your students' money? Because wh- what I'm doing with my students' money <laughs> is I nothing else exists. 
yeah. than I am with them yeah. and their horse. Yeah, well, quite often it's the student's debrief of their week. Like trying to get the debrief out so we can start the focus is the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's relevant too, yeah. And so I, I do allow for that time of like, okay, we got to talk about, we got to get me caught up, get me up to speed. <laughs> I guess the other thing I want to say, like on this subject of both attention and awareness, but also demystifying this word energy. Yeah. Um, And I love the word energy because it is capacious. Like there is a lot of directions it can go in, but I know for our linear thinking friends, they want a more concrete definition. I'm not going to give it, but I'll, I'll throw some I'll throw some elements of what I mean by energy. So one of the other things I like about working in what I call the energetic mode is I think it's the mode where we have the most direct connection with cause and effect. Does that make sense? You know what I mean by cause and effect? Because what I see with students, and this again connects to attention, is They'll do a bunch of things in their body, a whole bunch of movements, like 5, 10, 15, like a whole cluster, a whole mess of movements. Horses are so sensitive. Horses are like, or they can be if they're not shut down. Horses are like clay, like on a potter's wheel that's spinning around. And like, you're really attentive to how and where you place your hands because that's going to shape the end result. And so... Along with this idea of like getting students to slow down, deeper attention, deeper awareness, why it's not just, this is one of my phrases, when I talk about slowness, it's not just arbitrary slowness, like Katie, you need to be more patient. That's a really arbitrary, like it's a really nebulous kind of statement. When I talk to students about going slower, the slowness is anchored in observing cause and effect. Slowing down in particular human body movements so they're a little more careful so that you can observe, oh, when I do this, this happens in the horse. And then it becomes a bit like choreography. And each horse is a bit different. Each human is a bit different. Each horse is gonna react to the specific human's energy. Because I can't tell you how many times I'll show a student like, okay, just do this with your arm. And then they'll like do the gesture the same, but it doesn't have the same energy. It doesn't have the same timing, the same intensity, the same intention. So it's, it's things like this. And so, um, you know, behavior and behaviorism has become like a really popular thing. Great. People are understanding the science of horsemanship. Lovely. But for me, there are units of um there's like a medium of connection that is even more i could say refined but that already sounds like there's a judgment around it i would just say more um immediate yeah and so yeah so so i'm hoping i'm like helping to demystify yeah. this idea no, i, I love it and i've got like four reference points that i want to dig into just <laughs> love it So one of the things that we teach the school horses, because they have to start a lot of beginners, beginners Mm. are very unaware of what their Mm. body is doing and Mm. how the horse reacts to everything that you do. Mm. If the horse doesn't know what they're supposed to be doing or what the answer is, 
I have taught them that they stop and relax because the opposite response, right, is that they start getting stressed or they start getting Mm -hmm. upset that, you know, you're doing all of these things and they, like, you're not even aware of all of these things that you're doing and they're trying to figure out, like, was I supposed to listen to that or was I supposed to yeah. um, not listen to that one? And mm-hmm. so, you know, particularly you, my students in the first year or two uh, have a lot of movements as a result of being unbalanced in the saddle yeah. where we don't want the horse to respond to it. So yeah. they get like super frustrated when the horse just stops and relaxes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you know, the, opposite of what could happen in this moment is that your horse spooks and bolts or that your horse bucks or that your horse, you know, chooses another way to express their concern or their lack of trust and confidence in your ability or their lack of understanding of of what you actually want. So we're going to say thank you because I appreciate that you chose stop and relax (laughs) and you're going to try harder with regard to like how you're holding yourself and how you're using your body. And I can appreciate how hard it is because I've done it, (laughs) but I cannot do the push-ups for you. You have to put the effort in for yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to put the effort into this kind of refinement, then maybe you need to choose riding motorbikes because they don't emotionally respond to you when you're not doing it perfectly to to their expectations. And so teaching the horses and teaching the riders is like – you know, one of them has said to me, oh, I, I just assumed that they wouldn't run into the fence or they wouldn't run into a pole. I'm like, well, you know, you expect them to take direction from you, but then you don't give them the direction to not run into the fence. So yeah. there has to be like an ebb and a flow there where, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're appreciating the direction received and you're supporting them in their needs for the direction required to participate in this work as a team and if you're going to ask them to do something it has to be very intentional compared to all of the wobbly moments that you're having that you don't want your horse to respond to yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, which in and of itself is a big learning challenge. And I I don't know if we ever properly navigate that one. Um, it wasn't until I was riding horses like eight hours a day, I was like riding more than I was walking, that my body really felt like it started to get into that groove. And leading yeah. up to that, I would ride, you know, an hour or two daily, compete weekends, um, mm-hmm. But I would still like gas out on the back of a horse and get stitches and like hop on some days and feel like I couldn't recruit my body for balance and that kind of thing. So like being a hobby horse rider, I feel you're always going to have those messy moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, what you're even talking about with riding the horses eight hours a day um, and this kind of. This connects back to the energy thing as well. And what I mean by energy, it's like the balance between ease and effort. Mm. So the further along I go in my practice, you know, some people have this idea of like, what does a high level trainer look like? What are the outputs of a high level trainer? And they might have this idea again, like fireworks from the horse, like tempi changes, six foot jumps, like beautiful collection. And for me, the deeper I go in my work, it's like, 
why would that be my output? I mean, that's cool. Like it's all, there's so many different directions all of us can go. But for me, as I go deeper in my own practice and become more refined in my practice, the way I want to demonstrate to myself um, mastery is through uh, less constraints, like equalizing the playing field and between me and the horse. And part of that is the, the energy dynamics of ease versus effort. You know, the thing about a lot of the performance type modes, and I know you're talking about school kids, but if we even just think about this as a principle, we can see where it goes in in, in terms of applying to the school kids. But it's like um, a lot of the performance type frameworks or control frameworks of any kind involve a lot of effort from the being who's controlling. You know, we have a, this idea that the one who's controlling is above, you know, and in the preferred position. But to be a controller is to effort a lot. <laughs> and to me, I wouldn't name anything mastery that is just not good physics. Like, I'm interested in physics, like really interested in it. Like, how can I get the most kind of influence in my own life, even on my own life journey? How can I get the outcomes I'm looking for with ease? Because what I've learned is like, you might think it's like, oh, I'm going to go get what I want. But it's like, it's this difference between hustle culture and alignment culture. I've hustled before and I've gotten the fruits and rewards of hustling and they're, they're good fruits and good rewards, but eventually a being hits a wall, right? And if they don't hit a wall, they kind of have to solidify layers of themselves and become like distant from themselves and become a bit mechanical themselves to continue the physics of control. <laughs> And so it's like funny, the being that's in control that we think is in the privileged position becomes the very mechanical thing that they are making in the being that they are controlling. So somewhere along the line in my own life, I realized I want to I wanna be more artful with life and I want to be more artful with horses. And this for me is some kind of equation of balancing ease and effort. And along with that, what I've realized is that to get what I want out of life without being excessively effortful or efforting a lot, it's that actually I have to recognize that this whole experience of life isn't one where it's just me and I'm just this free agent that is doing, doing, doing. You know, the short kind of metaphysical or like new agey way of phrasing it is like co-creating with life. Um, another, you know, when I was doing my PhD, this book that I just fell in love with, it's very heady quantum physics stuff, but it's called Meeting the Universe Halfway. And I love the image that is brought up by that because it really explains the kind of horsemanship I'm trying to do, the kind of way I'm trying to live my life. And so it, it does come back to this formula that I'm mentioning, ease versus effort. And it's one where it can't be all me. 
you know, and that's not just an ethical thing or some kind of like <sighs> ego diminishing thing where I'm like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, too pushy. It can't be all about me. It's it's not even about that. Again, this is a physics. It's like the more you work with circumstances, whether it's, you know, um, I talk about certain horses, let's say a really shut down horse, pretty well versed in dealing with the energy of like, I'm talking about true shut down horses. I don't mean they're shut down for a moment. I mean, like their yeah, okay. way of being in the world is they're not really in this world. Yeah, they're not. They're kind of inert. Like at the if we're talking about energy, they're like, there's no responsiveness. There's not really a back and forth. Um, and so I think about with them, like, this is where people might talk about like, Ooh, we need to motivate them more. And it's like, yeah. um, again, I'm super, super down with the science of motivation. I love the creativity that's out there to motivate horses, but the kind of horses I'm talking about the <laughs> I'm picturing like blowing up these blow up creatures and stuff they, they're not bringing any life out of these horses the horse <laughs> is only gonna go further inside and so for those kind of horses back to this idea of like ease versus effort and like co-creating it's if I were to try and motivate and I like bring in all the like I'm picturing like I got a party hat on. I'm like, you know, like, <laughs> and I've got like glitter and like cheerleader pom poms. Obviously, like not these things, but this is like the energy. Yeah. Like, what can I do to get you excited? And it's like, cool. If you want to do that, great. And if it works, great. Firstly, with the type of horses I'm describing, it doesn't work. I'm talking about horses that like barely want to move. And yeah. let's just assume they've already been vet, vet checked. And as far as we can tell, there's no like absolute reason why they can't it's a uh psychophysiological state they're in not necessarily like a, a soundness issue and it's like so what do we do with those horses what does co-creation mean with those horses when there's almost nothing and I'm just using this because it's like an extreme example to help me explain what I mean by like co-creating because if it was all about like me going through life thinking it's like mm, it's my will against the world and I'm gonna do mm -hmm. do do go 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 that's a young person's game and that's also just not the best energy use I'm after being an energy master this is the path I'm on because this is the path that's been presented to me so if I were to go full motivate then that's all me doing a bunch of stuff. And <laughs> where is the horse in the equation? Mm -hmm. I want to co-create. So if what their energy is telling me, I call it like the rock scale. I've got like on a scale of, you know, zero to a hundred, your horse is like a rock. A hundred being like we're moving and it's free flowing and everything's moving. And zero is like, is this thing even alive? Like really inert beings. Um, and so for those, like, I'm not going to try and motivate them. Mm. I'm going to enter their energy field of rockness. Right. And I'm going to like, it's like trying to talk to a mountain or even talk to a tree, you know, like it's going to be a different language, a different energy signature. Anyone that's seen Lord of the Rings, 
or read the book, second book, second movie, the tree beings. We're introduced to the tree beings, the ants, and they talk much slower, much deeper. And like, if I were even to just put those kind of pauses (laughs) into my sentence, I'm having a hard time doing it because it's fun talking to you. (laughs) But even to talk this slowly is a different kind of consciousness. So I'm actually not that interested. Like, yes, motivation is good. I'm not trying to deter anyone from motivation, but I, I'm about having as big a toolbox as you can possibly have. And I guess part of what I'm saying here would be like um, meeting them where they're at back to this phrase, like meeting the universe halfway. I'm going to meet them where they at, they're at in rock logic. It's not like infinite potential like it is when we're in firework logic where it's like, right? Yeah. It's much, it's a, it's a much smaller field of possibilities, but that doesn't mean there's no possibilities. So it's a bit like sinking into their time zone. And again, when we lower the expectations, what you start to see is half of why they became a rock is because they were just like, pinged with expectations 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 no regard for their beingness so I know we started by talking about your students and you saying you know I slowed it I taught the horse to slow down I've got to teach the students to have more intention in directionality and I I a little bit took that in a slightly different direction but the point being like it's really important for me in that dynamic whatever the context school horses or not that there really is this back and forth and that there's a transformative possibility where it's not just the horse meat like doing what the human wants at what point does the human gets transformed by horse ways at what point do I start to like actually learn a different language And I don't just mean like Equus. People will say like, oh, I speak Equus. It's like, there are so many dialects of Equus (laughs) and they're energetic dialects. So yeah, I I put a slightly different spin on that. And I I don't, it's been so long since I've taught in a riding school. I don't even know, like kudos to you for trying to bring ethical frameworks to that. Because like my cynical brain where I am now, part of me is like, I just don't see how that's possible. <laughs> it's and <really> it's, <laughs> well, and I'm hearing your ways and it's like, wow, like you deserve like a Pulitzer or something for, for that because I just be like, I'm out. I can't do this, which is what I do do now. That's it for part one of our three-part episode with Shannon. Jump over to Humming Horse Equestrian on Instagram and have a look at some of her writings. They are just magic. Until next week, happy trails. If you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast, you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you. If you're working with or riding horses, you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be. Unfortunately, most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up. 
Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you. Especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, Building a Connection with Your Horse. This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret source behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection and I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.